Book Three, Chapter Nine of Clara Vaughan, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Helen Taylor, Oxford, UK. Clara Vaughan, Volume Two, by R. D. Blackmore. Book Three, Chapter Nine. When Isola had told Mrs. Shelfer everything, and a little more than everything, for her imagination was lively, the dominant feeling in the little woman's bosom was not indignation as we had expected, but terror. Terror of two evils. The first and chief evil, the possibility of Charlie catching cold. The other, the probability that he would crush Conrad and tread him into the earth at the earliest opportunity. I assured her warmly that Mr. Conrad could well defend himself, even if Shelfer should dare to meddle with him. "'Oh, my good friend, you have no idea what a terrible fellow Charlie is. Why, he broke the head of the skittleman at the load of hay. So he told me himself. Oh, he's a terrible fellow when he's put out.' "'But you forget, Mrs. Shelfer, he hasn't been put out this time. He was put in.' that isola always loved small jokes put in miss idols miss shelfer never understood any joke but her own oh yes put into the water you mean true true and serve him right so long as he don't take cold for calling me his lawful wife who keeps him together the old gal at home but charlie's a terrible fellow terrible terrible coward more likely i cried or he would never have dared his low insolence to me. I am sorry for it, Mrs. Shelfer, utterly as I scorn him, because it compels me to leave your house, and you have been truly good and kind to me. I thought of Mrs. Huxtable, but how different was the fibre of her kindness. Leave my house, Miss Valence? Oh, no, my good friend, that will never do, not to be thought of, and I was so used to you and all, and Tom and the blackbird, and the new squirrel. A likely story, my good friend, and with your eyelashes coming, and do you know who would come instead of you? Of course not, Mrs. Shelfer. Why, a nasty, stinking uzzy that would steal the feathers out of my best bed again, the same as they did before. My very best bed, Miss Idols, as dear Miss Minto left me in her will. Not a better bed in London, unless it's the Queen's, and so I used to tell her when I helped her to shake it up. My mouth watered over it so that she said one day, and the knife-boy heard her on the stairs, Patty, you've been a good girl to me and you deserves it, and you shall have it when I'm tucked up for good and all. And so I did very honourable and all above board. Yes, Yes, I had a commercial gent one time, a wonderful heavy man, to be sure, and he stayed with me three years for the sake of that same bed. And he knew what beds was, and no mistake. It was bootiful to see when he was a-getting up. It began to rise up, up, the same as Tom's back when he see your dog, Miss Idols. Come, Mrs. Shelfer, I fear we can hardly wait. Twas like dough put afore the fire, Miss. There's no such dancing now. You couldn't put your fist in one side of it, but it would come out the other. Oh, lor, I could cry. That nasty sly minx, she was softer than parsnips, you'd say, and one leg, 
more than the other. I couldn't think why it was she'd always make her own bed. Thank you, Mrs. Shelfer, with her lips sucked in like a buttonhole. Thank you, you're too kind. It doesn't at all fatigue me, and my doctor pronounces the exercise good for my chest and arms. Thank God she got some exercise good for her legs as well. Six months on the treadmill. Charlie got me an order, and it did my heart good to see her. But my twenty pounds of best feathers never came back again, and that wasn't the worst of it neither. "'Oh, dear, no,' says Idols. "'The worst of it was the sin, Mrs. Shelfer. "'The worst of it was that she stuffed it with sawdust and oakum and javanna, "'I do believe, by the smell of it. "'What do you mean, Mrs. Shelfer? "'Law, Miss Valence, don't you know javanna "'that the kingfishers lays on top of the sea "'and the gardeners make water with it? "'And what did she do with your feathers?' "'Sneaked them out of the house in the crown of a bonnet, "'and sold them at eightpence a pound, "'and they were three and sixpence every flew of them. "'But the rag and bottleman got two months, thank God for it. Oh, "'It will never be a bed under five pounds at least.' "'Is it the one I sleep on, Mrs. Shelfer? "'Yes, my good friend, the very same. "'And you have put me to sleep on guano? "'Well, I thought it smelt very odd.' "'No, no, no, my good friend, wait a bit. "'We got most of that out again and gave it to our geraniums. "'She stole it out of a sack as Charlie kept in the wash-house. "'There was feathers in it. "'That put it into her head, I suppose. "'But as for your going, Miss Valence, that will never do. "'Never, never. "'Will it now, Miss Idols? "'And to see her dress, to be sure, that baggage. "'Why, my best tartlin, as dear Miss Minto gave me to be married in, "'wasn't good enough for her to sweep the stairs in.' sweep the stairs yes yes she did sweep the stairs when i see her last and she had a four i know she was so clever at it and that was why one leg was so much more than the other mrs shelfer do you expect us to listen to you all night true my good friend quite true but when i thinks of my feathers something comes over me i must out with my troubles or burst but you mustn't go miss valence that will never do never ask miss idols now and she turned to isola who was quite ready to be turned to of course it won't miss shelfer you are quite right my good friend i won't hear of it for a moment why mr shelfer was drunk i know it by the way he held his pipe quite drunk and incapable you know and he will be so sorry and he'll never do it again and he did not mean to be drunk at all but the frost was very hard, and the cold got into his head. I am sure it would into mine if I had stayed much longer. And he didn't understand brandy-balls, as we do at college. You could not expect it, you know. The pure good faith of this last was too much for me. I laughed outright, having no husband concerned in it. As for the dry little woman, she actually cried. I had never seen a tear in her quick, shy eyes before— though the feather-bed nearly brought them, and so did the death of the elder Sandy the squirrel. She turned away. She was always ashamed of emotion. "'Bless your innocent heart, Miss Idols, if you don't marry a king. <laughs> Not one of us is good enough to tie your shoes, as you talked of. You are that simple and good of heart.' "'Is there any goodness more touching to a veteran than a soft young nature's disbelief in evil? But for bitter experience—' I might have been sweet as Isola. Thank God that, in spite of all vinegar, 
the ailment is still infectious. Isola could not make it all out. "'Tomorrow morning, Miss Valence,' began Mrs. Shelfer again, "'tomorrow morning, after I've wigged him well all night and then given him a good breakfast, he'll come and beg your pardon like a child, and be ashamed to look any higher than your flounces, and I know you'll forgive him.' "'Mrs. Shelfer, I have forgiven him long ago. I cannot bear enmity against such people.' These last words had better been away, for such little wrongs and I owe you a great deal for all your kindness to me. The only question is whether self-respect and prudence allow me to stay here. I will leave the decision to Miss Isola. Young as she is, and innocent and confiding, she cannot be wrong on a question of delicacy. As for prudence, she knows more of London than I do. Hereon I sat down with a womanly air, but I could hardly help laughing when the senior sophist jumped up, proud, to deliver judgment. To look taller, she shook her flounces down, threw back her plump white shoulders, her bonnet and cloak were off, drew her rich flowing hair down the pearly curve of her ears, and scarcely satisfied yet, thought of mounting a stool, then took her foot off the too convictive beamer. After all these anabolisms she began with much solemnity. She was thinking of the college, and her father in the rostrum. "'Miss Valence and Miss Shelfer, since you have honoured my weak judgment by appointing me umpire, and as I am led to believe without any right of appeal, I will do my utmost to be discreet and impartial. In the first place I award that Miss Valence remain in this house, forget and forgive her wrongs. In the second place I recommend, in such a matter I will not presume to command, that till Mr. Shelfer has made a humble apology, and promised faithfully never to be intoxicated again, however cold the weather is, Mrs. Shelfer shall not permit him to have a single kiss, nor a single bit of hot dinner. Now I have delivered my decree. Lord, Miss Idols, you're too soft for the old Bailey. He never kiss me unless it is when he knows I have got him some money. But he do like a good hot dinner. Right enough there, my good friend. So this knotty point was settled and Giudice, who was very loath to leave me, escorted Miss Idols home. Before going, he made another solemn deposit of his great jowl in my hand, and looked at me with an air so tutelary and encouraging that I could not help laughing, at which he felt hurt, but condoned it. Isola told me that when he was put in charge of her, he felt the responsibility so strongly that he would not stir from her side not even to speak to the most colloquially gifted dog, though at other times he would stay gossiping near a lamp-post for five minutes together. One evening, when he was thus commissioned, a rude fellow pushed between them and said something to Isola. Giudice had him down in an instant and stood over him like a tawny thundercloud, with growling so fearful and such flashing eyes that two policemen felt it wiser not to act as conductors. Idols herself was obliged, at the entreaty of her prostrate foe, to coax the great dog off. But when the ungrateful man got up, he insisted on giving Giudice into charge, and having him dragged to the station. "'Very good, sir,' said the policeman. "'We'll enter the charge when you bring him there. Let him go, miss, for the gent to collar him.' The gent was away in no time, and Giudice and his mistress walked off amid loud hurrahs from all the boys of the neighbourhood. 
Conrad called with his sister the day after Mr. Shelfer's ducking, to reassure himself as to my nerves, which were never better. He looked over some of my drawings, and without seeming to give, but rather to seek information, afforded me many a hint, which I afterwards found most useful. I now learned what his profession was, and it gave me pleasure to find that he was not, as I had feared, a mere lounger upon town. Instead of that, he was working very hard, being, as he told me, nothing more or less than a journeyman's sculptor. Though, as himself admitted, by no means a novice, he was going through the regular course of study and hand-labour under an eminent artist. But Isola told me, and no doubt it was true, that he could beat his master out and out, and that for any choice design, where original power and taste were needed, they always came to him. Of late the frosts had lightened his tasks, for warm the room as they would, the weather always affected the material, and they feared to attempt the more delicate parts of the work during the rigours of winter. So when the thaw came he must lose the pleasure of seeing me for a while, unless dear Isola wished to be escorted home on a Sunday, if I indeed allowed her to come on that day. Why, that was the very day when I could best indulge in a walk with my gentle friend after going to church, and I was sure her society did me more good than the sermons. On her part, Isola found that the services always made her so nervous, her nerves were as good as mine, and that she did not much like walking about with a big dog on Sundays, and Cora was always so cross all the day after Mass, so Conrad must promise upon his honour always to come for her, rain, hail, or shine, on a Sunday. This he promised so readily that for a moment I fancied it had all been preconcerted. Then I despised myself for the suspicion. The trick would have been not out of compass of Isola, but very unworthy of Conrad. End of Book Three, Chapter Nine